feel feral and unclean But the sky's alive Coming out Saturday on Beyond the Fire But I'm joined by a real upcoming talent Jack Browning Kerosene So I'm here with Jack Browning. Thank you very much for joining me, Jack. Thanks for having me, man. Thank you. Oh, it's cool. Um, of course, your your debut album, which is on the way, Red Eye Radio, that'll be out in August, um, which of course we'll be diving into. But firstly, um, you know, you're the you're the first guest on Beyond the Vibe, about eighty odd episodes deep, where you have your feet kind of firmly in two worlds. Obviously, we've got the music side, which we're going to get to know more but people know obviously of your work with you know doing art and such um i'm sure people will have seen uh your artwork portrait of jake smith better known as uh the white buffalo that's it man yeah uh, yeah i mean for those that are probably going to ask that question how did that opportunity come about before we get into I, things i still don't know man like <laughs> feet, feet firmly in two worlds that are notorious for not paying great as well um yeah <laughs> but, yeah I, I i was on tour at the time with um a buddy of mine aaron um and i knew jake was coming to london this was back in 2018 so i was about about 20 mm. um and i was in the bus and i just fired off like this hail mary email to his um you know like his contact or whatever and just said um i think i'm working on this self-portrait would jake be interested in seeing it when it's done and um so I did it and he got back to me, like his team got back to me and said, yeah, Jake would love to, um, you know, like catch you backstage. Um, I think it was Shepherd's, no, it wasn't Shepherd's Bush, but I'll get to that in a minute. Um, and so I went along and I had like this canvas, sort of like A3, um, hiked from sort of Essex on the tube right to West London to Shepherd's Bush Empire, got up to the stage door, I knocked. And it's about four in the afternoon, um, so dead on time. I said, yeah, I'm here to see um, Jake. And she was like, oh, is he in one of the bands? I was like, yeah, he's sort of headlining. He goes, he's in the Oasis tribute band, is he? <laughs> and suddenly I'm, I'm like, no, it's the White Buffalo. She goes, no, we've got like a Britpop night tonight. Um, went into my phone, totally realised that um, it was Kentish Town and not Shepherd's Bush. Um, Brilliant. <laughs> yeah so hiked it back completely missed um the time i was meant to sort of meet jake and hand over the painting so texting his management like in this crisis thing sprinting through sort of kentish town away from the station i said look i've I've messed up royally they said well look, he's gone out to dinner um but he might be able to spare like five minutes before the support band go on but he's quite strict in how he warms up for his show you know he does a lot of um kind of like warming up vocally and physically as well. Mm. So that's really all we can give you. So I'm standing in the venue with this like portrait of Jake. It's the most tragic <laughs> thing in the world. Um, and I got a text from his tour manager and said, right, stage door now. Like I need you there now if we're going to do this. So I, I walk in and I basically say to the security guard, look, I'm meant to be going through. Um and luckily his manager sort of pops out and said, yeah, this guy's in, gives me a pass. And I go upstairs and I'm just like, 
hanging with Jake and he was like the coolest dude ever. Um, you know, he was kind of psyched that I'd done that as opposed mm. to like me just getting to meet one of my favorite musicians. Um, and yeah, um, he sort of said, Oh, you know, do you want me to like sign something? So, you know, you can do that. I was like, I'm just psyched to meet you, to be honest, man. Um, went away, enjoyed the show. Um, and he shared it on Instagram and that was that. And then 18 months later, I think I, I got an email, um, from his management and they just said, look, man, um, he's got a new album coming out. It's unannounced yet, but your name keeps coming up in the conversation for artwork. Um, could you jump on this call? And I was thinking like, what am I going to say, man? Like, oh, sorry, <laughs> You know, like, of course I will. Um, so I think it was like 1am UK time because of the time difference. Um, but we jumped on and I sort of got like a brief and, um, yeah, over the course of like three months, I painted this huge portrait and couldn't really tell anyone what it was for. And I think it was in my uni studio at the time in South London. And uh, I remember just before the Christmas break, I was carrying this like one meter square canvas on the underground, um, just praying like, like a heel didn't go through it or, you know, like someone fell into it on the tube or something. Um, and I had all these people saying, oh, what's that for? What's that for? I was like, you know, just cool portrait um i figured i'd work on and um i remember when the album dropped and i still couldn't announce it yet but i had friends messaging me saying oh did you know jake's got a new album coming out mm. i was like really no, no, no way you know but um yeah it was the hardest secret to keep like some of my best friends didn't even know um and it was just wild yeah and then when they announced it i had sort of people messaging me saying man, I saw that earlier and I thought it might have been yours or, you know, like um, this crazy thing, which took me on like this crazy journey, you know? Mm. Um, and it all started with like this Hail Mary text in the back of a tour van. I think that's it. You know, you've got to take a chance sometimes, but I mean, it must be a crazy thing. I mean, obviously it's not just one of your favorite musicians, but it's also, you know, the, the weight that that carries. I mean, that would have been on, like people would have been presenting that on like primetime American television. And yeah. It's, um, it's like your works being shown to millions of people. Yeah. It's nuts, man. And, and like the, the pressure was, was pretty high. I mean, um, especially cause they gave me a lot of freedom with it. They, mm. if I remember rightly, the brief was, um, it's an album that's pretty melancholic for the first half. It's about the sea um the second half's a little bit hopeful that was kind of like it oh, where you go <laughs> um, yeah and and like that picture we used for it the the reference was actually just a selfie that jake took in his kitchen like i um i text him and he obviously just woken up it was like the time difference and he was like making coffee um i said can you send me a quick selfie please man and that was what i based the whole image on um and yeah, it's just crazy, like seeing it in record stores and like seeing, mm. you know, like the late night host and stuff like holding it up and yeah. and everything. And, you know, like I'm massively into like my country and stuff and Shooter Jennings um, produced it. And so like seeing my name sort of under his in the in the gatefold was just nuts. You know, it's crazy. I mean, I imagine that's opened doors now, isn't it, to other ventures? Yeah, for sure, man. Um, like... Yeah, I was I I wasn't really expecting that response. Um and obviously you kind of see people in the business and you know you kind of think they're going to look at it very logically and very 
kind of to the point but you know even like just to get a message from his manager who's this really mm. really great dude who said like he he couldn't imagine the album without that artwork attached mm. to it now um that that meant a lot and yeah just some of the cool things you know like whenever jake comes through town you know i always pretty much go and say hi mm. and you know like we we get to hang out and catch up and that which is like just still pretty surreal you know it, it's kind of become at least recently like one of his main things that he uses i mean it's obviously it's still if i go on the merch page for the white buffalo that's still the the big cover image yeah i mean i remember um in the run-up to like the promo so i think it came out april 2020 and it was just as everything started closing down in march they um the label like animated it Mm. it was this crazy thing to see you know like people just playing around with my artwork and using that and um, you know they were kind enough to send me some stuff as well, so it was just really surreal to kind of actually be holding it. And you know, my old man still goes into HMV and moves it to the front and stuff, yeah. like, and then, like takes the selfies if I don't believe he's going to do it. So <laughs> yeah, it was, it's pretty nuts, but yeah, like really grateful because you know I was just this kind of twenty-year-old dude, kind of barely making making a living with art at the time, and just the fact sort of they asked me to do it was super cool. Mm. of course going into music now was you know playing and and being a musician your first love or was it art that was the thing um so i mean i was always uh kind of like drawing and stuff as a kid and i was always really inspired by like visual medium you know like Mm. so um you know film and and art and everything um but yeah i think music like i was kind of late to the party with music i think i was like 13 Mm. Um, and a lot of my friends, they'd already been playing years and I picked up the guitar. I think it was like the third try. I, I stuck with it. Um, and pretty quickly I dropped the bomb on my parents that I wanted to be a musician when I was older. And this was like a grammar school kid who had some prospects, I guess, like academic wise, um, sort of turning around and basically being like, I want to be a musician, mum. And um my guitar teacher who i still keep in touch with like still remembers being sat there when when i just came out with that um and yeah that kind of like led things you know more or less totally until probably around the time i did um i did the first painting of jake about five years ago Mm. um and i had these great teachers in college who really kind of nurtured my artwork and showed me that maybe it was a an okay path to try that as opposed to just going to uni getting a history degree i think which is my original plan and getting like a normal adult job <laughs> you know <laughs> um growing up i think everybody has that that kind of first band or first musician that they really kind of struck a chord with did you have that was there that moment yeah. Yeah, man. Um, so luckily, my dad had really like kick-ass music taste. Um, so I was always brought up on, you know, like the Beatles, Pink Floyd, um, Johnny Cash, Bob Dylan. Um, but I think the first band that really captured my imagination was it was either Guns N' Roses or Bon Jovi when I was like ten or eleven. Um, yeah, I th- yeah, it was either Appetite or Slippery When Wet. I got the CD uh, one Christmas, one of the two. And just became like enamored with that, you know, like within a year I was kind of pining for a Les Paul and um, mm. collecting all these albums, you know, 
um sort of weekends like going into town and trying to grab the latest album one that i didn't have and trying to learn the songs and you know read the biographies and everything sort of became pretty enamored with it and yeah i mean i was i was pretty exclusively like a rocker until kind of maybe four or five years ago <laughs> um which was it's kind of a, a bit of a 180 but yeah it's cool yeah of course i mean i've heard the album but there, there'll be a lot of people that won't uh have heard of your music yet so for those that aren't familiar with you know the music side for you how would you kind of sum up your sound as as a musician in particular i mean you've obviously mentioned like bon jovi and guns and roses but there's quite a departure <laughs> from that yeah yeah for sure i mean i like to think there's little kind of references to it all you know like um the idea of there kind of being narratives in the songs mm. and and there's one song on the record which is a little bit more rocky and it's a little bit more of a standard kind of rock song and I, I really enjoyed doing that one um just playing on my uh my producer and friends les paul it was like 1998 les paul custom um that was great that was kind of like reliving everything i wanted to do in my teenage years you know um but i guess like the best thing to describe it would be you know like americana gets gets kind of bandied around quite a bit um and I like the idea of kind of a modern soundtrack to like the best kind of spaghetti westerns. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, like that that was very much at the forefront. You know, what what could we do with kind of modern instruments and modern takes on like these kind of Western soundtracks? And um being an artist, I do a lot of Western art and I really respect a lot of kind of contemporary Western artists. And it's kind of looking at those paintings and sort of thinking you know what what would they sound like what would be a cool soundtrack if this painting was like a, a scene in a movie you know what what would be a cool thing so yeah kind of kind of western i guess would, would mm. be the best way to describe it i mean that that was the thing that first struck me when i was listening to the record it was like uh obviously there's elements of like country in there and there's elements of kind of rock but the the real resounding thing was you know, it feels almost like a seventies Western, and I've yeah. not heard that from a record before. Like it feels, it sounds like a genre. I don't know how that works. <laughs> oh, thank you. Man. I mean, that that makes it sound like we really thought about it. Um, <laughs> but you know, I wrote the whole thing in about a month. But you know, for example, one of the things we added, and um, you know, you, you probably heard it, listened to the record, was we sampled this yeah. um, old Marlon Brando western it, mm. i think it's like one of the only films he ever directed um and it was like in the late 50s and it was called one-eyed jacks which is hilarious um and yes yeah, it's really hammy revenge western but it fell in the public domain in the 70s they never renewed it mm. um and as we were like me and my buddy rob who basically was my right hand man producing it we were sat there listening to it and we were just thinking man there's some great lines in this it'd be really cool if we could kind of drop that in and then as i said the western thing just kind of came around and we started adding trumpets and stuff and just kind of really leaning into it but yeah mm. no, it, was, it was it was really interesting to hear that i mean I, I was listening to that voice when it first comes in and so i mean number one i was thinking this is this is cool but like <laughs> i was trying to i was i was thinking, like, i feel like i've heard that before but i don't know where from <laughs> you know obviously now we know yeah, I mean, it was pretty much like every 50s and 60s kind of Western. Mm. 
it's it's it follows the exact same narrative. He he's in a like a posse. The posse betray him. Mm. Um, spends the rest of the movie getting revenge, you know, with like a couple of plucky sidekicks. But there was just some really great lines, and mm. I kind of like adding a little bit of elements of like other things I'm interested in. So you know, like the artworks one, but also as I mentioned, you know, film and everything has always played a massive part in what kind of makes me tick as a as a creative person. Um, so it was awesome to add those in, and I'm I'm looking forward to people trying to find out, you know, like what part of the film it's from or you know what mm. is it what are they sort of saying because it's some bits like kind of buried under the music but it was a lot of fun mm. um at the time of uh this episode's release uh your first single kerosene will be close to to coming out could you talk a bit about that song and the meaning behind it yeah man um so i wrote that um i quit touring in the band um i was with in 2019 um and February 2020 I booked my first show with my own band um what could go wrong (laughs) Um, (laughs) and the first song I'd written was Kerosene and we um kind of planned this whole show and I'm not kidding it was the Friday before the following like Thursday when everything locked down Mm. um and so I had like this one song right at the beginning of the pandemic and essentially didn't write another song until um, October last year, 2022. I just kind of totally convinced myself that I couldn't write a song that was any good. Um, But then sort of as the pandemic started opening up, I was playing a song more and I noticed that people were like kind of remembering it or saying, oh, that song. And they were sort of like humming the melody. It's sort of been, oh, you know, you know, really cool. I like that. Um, and so it kind of changed over time, but uh, the kind of main sentiment is just, it's this kind of every man who's just trying to kind of get by and he's watching the world kind of like crumble around him. And, and it wasn't intentional, but looking back, that's kind of how it felt, I guess, at the time for me. I mean, I just left the band that I'd been touring with for like two years and kind of, you know, when you're a kid and you start picking up an instrument that's like kind of the holy grail and we were supporting people like jeff beck and Mm. josh stone gregory porter and so i'd given that up and then on top of that this pandemic which completely wiped out like a huge part of my identity which is playing and gigging and recording so it kind of makes sense looking back on it but um it's it's kind of slightly changed over time but the sentiment is still pretty much there from the beginning Mm. Um, for me personally, kind of two real standout tracks on the record are uh, "Ain't Ain't Mean Much to Me." I mean, that's got that kind of more classic rock feel. I feel that that was perhaps the one you were mentioning there, yeah. and uh, "Blue Eyed Sun" as well. Like, I feel like, in my personal opinion, I feel "Blue Eyed Sun" is kind of the the pinnacle of the record. You know, it feels like this real kind of epic finale. Um, how did those songs come about? And like, obviously, you mentioned there that there was that track that's got the more rockier feel was there a decision behind you know like we're going to include this one yeah um so i i guess um when i when i decided to go into the studio i gave myself a month before actually between like booking it and and going in and i had one song which was kerosene um and i sort of thought i'll i'll try and write one other song and come out with an ep like a two-track 
single EP, whatever you want to call it. Um, and then kind of wrote maybe four or five songs. And then after that first session sort of said, I, I think we're actually gonna need another session. And then in between those two wrote like another five or, or something songs. So there wasn't like a, you know, like a curated choice to say, right, I want a song that sounds like this or is a bit more rocky. But I think because it's such a huge part of kind of my um, like reason to to become a musician, you know, like mm. I'm 25, but kind of deep down, I'm still that like 12 year old kid in HMV kind of pining <laughs> over like all these kind of rock records. And um, I don't know, I just remember kind of being wanting to write this song around these kind of more angry lyrics I had. Um, and it just seemed to fit it straight away. And um, kind of took a lot of cues from some of my favorite bands that I mentioned before, but you know, guys like Rival Sons um, and Jay, who you had on obviously, um, gave me some really, really sweet advice um, when I was writing for it. And I don't know, it just seemed to all kind of fit into that song, kind of what you said. Mm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It wasn't like a curated thing, but I'm I'm glad it happened and it really kind of uh, scratched that itch, I guess, of wanting to kind of be that hair metal guitarist for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, with Blue Eyed Sun, do you did you like did this kind of feel like that that big moment in the record for you? Did you think? I mean, in my view, I felt like when when I put that on, it was it was building something, it was building something, and it just feels like that's kind of like if I could sum up your album in a song I'd probably put that on there yeah I think um it was definitely one where it was like the sum of its parts you know we kind of kept adding to it originally I wrote it on my acoustic um in like my old apartment and um sent it over to to my buddy who sort of helped produce and and was kind of the driving force behind the record and he was like man that's like you know that that could be really strong because this is me and an acoustic and it was quite um you know pretty minimalist but then when we went into the studio we were cutting like the ghost track um and i was playing on like an old 60s telecaster that dan had in the studio and um i just switched it from the acoustic to like the electric and it kind of gave it a little bit more bite um and then when we were kind of coming to you know, dismantling the ghost track and actually laying down proper tracks. I sort of said to uh, Rick, the the crazy good drummer who who's all over the record, like, could we add some percussion? And then sort of saying, oh, could we try this? And he'd come into the room and be like, I think I might go and add this. And, you know, next thing you know, there's like, um, you know, my, my buddy uh, Troy Redfern, like he's on it. Um, and then we added like the sample. It just kind of like snowballed into this, it's probably going to be like the quietest song on the album um, until like the very last day of that particular session. And we're like, like miking up our boots, like stomping on the studio floor and <laughs> dropping like chains and stuff, you know, like, and just creating this whole kind of, um, as you say, it's like, a, it acts like a bit of a crescendo, I think. Mm. And I think we always knew like once we had established like the, at least like the skeleton of the track that it was kind of going to be the the finishing point of the album kind of something to build to you know hmm. do you feel i mean obviously you mentioned there in the past that you know you've been out with other bands and doing other things there is 
is there a different feel? You know, now it's kind of all on you. It's like you are the guy now. It's terrifying. Is it scary? <laughs> yeah. It's terrifying, man. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not like a natural singer in, in any way. I, I still hate my voice, you know, um, to the point where I, I couldn't listen to a lot of the playbacks in the studio. Like I had to sort of be like, you know, my, my, my Mrs. Anne was in the control room as well. And I just say, look, I'm going to go. Can you just tell me if it's any good or if I need to repair it, you know? Um, and so it's still super scary for me. And it's, it's super like, it puts me in this really vulnerable position where mm. even though don't get me wrong, like the feedback's been amazing. Um, and just have people like Jay and stuff like that, you know, sending me advice and, you know, chatting to me about it and stuff is nuts, but I'm still that kind of guy that is a guitarist rather than a singer. Mm. And it's kind of, it's still not quite kicked in that I now have to be like front man as well as like logistically just the guy that drives it, you know? Mm. Um, but yeah, it, I couldn't have done it without like this core team of people that kind of kicked me up the ass when I wasn't sort of doing what I should have been doing, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you wouldn't believe how many kind of singers start off as the guitarist or they go, Oh, we'll just fill in for a little while. And, you know, they become kind of, the singer for like the next 20 years yeah, yeah. my favorite's joe walsh that is my favorite story yeah. just the, what was it their singer quit like on the drive to detroit to play a gig <laughs> and joe was like oh i guess we'll have to jam some stuff and i'll sing on it and he did okay out of it so this is it i mean there's there's so many i mean uh i've had uh you know ricky warwick yeah, I love Ricky's music. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when when I spoke with him a few years ago, he was like, "Yeah, we." I just started off as a guitarist, and we were like, "I'll just be a temp," and that's that's how it just began. So there's yeah. there's so many you wouldn't believe it. I mean, it became for a while a bit of a common theme of these reluctant singers. Really? So it feel, yeah. So it feels that there is there's two types of singers. I think. I mean, there's even recently a uh, Cormac Neeson from The Answer. Yeah, uh, I was stunned to to hear that he was a really kind of um, he, he was very he, like he thought he was terrible for a few years. That's like, nuts. Yeah, exactly. And like he was the guy. Like I think he's. Yeah, I record him saying he started off as a keyboard player in the corner of the room, and he's just I, tinkering around. I do remember hearing something about that because he he was very good friends with. Aaron, who I played with, um, mm. and I do remember something about that where he was like the reluctant keys player as far back. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> this is like he, he was he was worried about you know how he sounded in particular. He's very kind of conscious of his voice. That and I think as as I said to Cormac, I think that that's kind of in a way quite comforting for a lot of singers because it's like well if he if he thinks that. I think there's just this kind of phase. You have these two singers, yeah, the reluctant ones who kind of need to get accustomed to their own voice. Yeah. And you have, I think, you know, the JB Cannons of the world who can just wander out and just be <laughs> I mean, Jay is like another level, you know. Yeah. Like <laughs> and so just anything he was saying to me, like, because mm. um 
again, I did a drawing of him and that led to us connecting. And so I asked him, I was really struggling with writing for the record, not the last week before I went into the studio. And he just gave me this great advice, which was basically like, dude, you're an artist, like you're a painter, like just approach it the exact same way. Mm -hmm. Um, But then like, um, and when Jay tells you something about writing and singing, like you'd be silly not to listen because the dude is just like a force of nature, you know? Um, But it's funny, like it kind of came from part being bullied by a friend of mine into singing. (laughs) Um, It was like 2018. It was around the time I connected with uh, Jake, the the white buffalo Mm. for the first time. And he basically said, look, man, I've got some cameras. I've got a couple of buddies helping out. We've got a studio space tonight. Like, I'll see you there to record a video. I was like, cool. Who's singing? He was like, you are. Like, don't make me cancel it. And that was how it all started. And I kind of realized soon that no one else was going to sing my songs for me. So... Uh, you know, I was like, I'll I'll do this demo, and the demos ended up becoming actual tracks, and I've not been able to get out of it yet. <laughs> <laughs> so you've joined the the lineage of the reluctant singers, the rich tapestry. Of, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, um, a question I always like to finish on that I ask every guest: um, if you could tour with one band or musician from the past and one from the present, who would they be? That's a great question, man. Wow. Um, Everybody struggles with that one. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, <laughs> it's like there's too much choice, you know? Um, I mean, obviously that 12-year-old kid crawling through HMB, you know, like kind of vintage Guns N' Roses would have been a, mm-hmm. a trip. Um, but I think Johnny Cash jumps out as being one that would be particularly cool. Um, I was getting a lot of cash vibes in the record i was i was feeling that yeah i mean the the first song i ever remember being obsessed with was um the highwayman Mm. um and i remember like my dad had it on a cd and like he was at work and i'd be like trying to find the cd and look it on the backs trying to find the song um i think he's had such an impact on kind of what i'm doing now i think yeah johnny would be the one from the past for sure um i don't know if i could keep up but it'd yeah, be interesting it, just to be, be around it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, you know, just, yeah, kind of maybe 60s, 70s Johnny Cash would be mm. cool. Um, and then present, I mean, there's a guy I I love his music, a guy called Charlie Crockett. Um, and he's, I saw him at the Jazz Cafe in London last year, finally. Um you know, having listened to him for about five or six years, and it was just one of the best shows I've seen. Um, he's about as cool as it gets, you know, proper like Texas country, mm-hmm. um, but really like innovative as well. Like, you know, not just kind of playing the classic tropes and things like that. Super interesting. Um, so yeah, I probably have to say Charlie Crockett or Rival Sons would be great. But again, selfishly, that would just be so I could... I mean, you've carried on the lineage. <laughs> the, the rival sons thing has been, uh, as I even said to Jay Buchanan himself, I said, you know, that that's been a common one throughout the years. 
Ironically, Jay mentioned Rival Sons as one of his choices. <laughs> Amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we may as well carry on. <laughs> I think, I think like, you know, if you were asking anyone that kind of has any kind of interest in rock music, um, it's yeah, a you'd common be silly, You'd be silly yeah. to not mention them. You know, they're, they're absolutely killing it. They're like authentic, original. Um, you know, there's no kind of trope or. Mm. A sense of like costume or something like that it's like the real deal they really are that cool and you know their songs are great so mm. yeah i mean if, if if jay says it himself then who am i to disagree you know i mean he he went with uh he went rival sons of 2012 amazing <laughs> for his past <laughs> that's so good it's funny that he says that because obviously you know like 2012 I, I imagine they were playing some fairly small venues and stuff but yeah i don't know i think some styles of music really suit that you know it's, yeah i mean it's, it's interesting i mean obviously you mentioned johnny cash there and i think that i, d I don't think he'd work in an arena no i can't you know I saw, I mean? like, i've seen I've, clips of some mm. of his later shows you know like just before he passed and he's playing like festivals and stuff Mm. It always kind of struck me as kind of being a little bit out of place. But then yeah. I don't know. I can't. I I wonder if Rival Sons would ever play a prison. You know. Uh, I mean, that's knows? true. Yeah. <laughs> who knows? Yeah. Yeah, I think. I mean, for me, uh, Johnny Cash was the guy that kind of made that whole country thing cool. For sure. Yeah. Like. Sort of got rid of the rhinestone suits and uh yeah like more gritty i mean me as a teenager i'm like mm, i'm not sure about country and then i say like johnny cash and i'm like hang on a minute like this guy you could be a badass and be yeah a country singer you know yeah man and it's same for you know guys like kind of you know muddy waters and mm. john lee hooker and stuff like they were like the original gangster rappers man they'd like <laughs> they're singing about kind of <laughs> women and booze and you know like weed uh they were just like consummate badasses mm. on top of being like these ridiculously talented musicians with this whole like history you know like behind them so yeah i think all those guys are massively underrated as like proper badasses you know i don't think there'd be any like chamomile tea in their dressing no. room, no? <laughs> <laughs> i mean there's there's a john lee hooker thing going on with that because i I mean, not to name drop, I'll cut this bit, but, but, but um, a, a, a while back, uh, did, uh, you know, Canned Heat? Yeah. There's there's one original member left uh, called Fito Della Parra, the drummer. And I spoke with him and he was talking about John Lee Hooker. And he, he's an extraordinary bloke. Like, he'll go into the... the um, uh, like the recording room and stuff, and he'll he'll only do two takes. No, and he goes, yeah, he goes. Apparently, he says, uh, he goes, oh, uh, why why the fuck would I do more than two takes? That's that's all I'm gonna fucking do. Like he goes after after the first or tattoo. Yeah, he was like after the first fucking two takes, it's, they're all shit anyway. <laughs> that's amazing. So yeah, you know, it that's is. A, it's, that's a great thing to live by. Um, I mean, I I always think that 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 is. I mean, I've heard more and more now. I mean, a lot of musicians they're going back towards you know recording on tape, and 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 that kind of old school approach. 
Yeah, and uh, ours was um, an analog desk. As, yeah. as well. Um Did you feel that there was a a difference there? Yeah, definitely. And and Dan, who started off as the studio owner and engineer, became producer and then became like a friend. Um, just like so experimental. Um, mm. but just had like this, you know, like when someone just has that instinct, you know, to say. Mm. Uh, if we do it like this, this and this, we'll get this kind of effect. So, yeah, yeah we were doing things like recording in like the cab cupboard, like in the studio. And mm. um, obviously it's like climbing up onto like this shelf and sitting on this shelf, like on a cab, just kind of like with this mic set up. And that was for some of the songs. And one of the songs we just used the guide vocal that I recorded. Because mm. um, very much in tune with what John Lee Hooker was saying, like it just, it, it didn't get any better um and it was just yeah like a ton of experimentation and it just added like some real charm and character to it i think mm, i've recorded it's... like digitally and it it's yeah. fine you know it's it's cool it does the job but i really think there's like a bit a bit of charm to recording mm. for sure no I, I agree i mean it's that that's another thing that's becoming a common occurrence i mean i spoke with troy a while back and uh Jared James Nichols and, and all these kind of young upcoming musicians, Jack Broadbent. Um oh, amazing man. And, yeah, me and Jack connected a couple of months ago. He's a really nice dude. Oh, he's yeah. he's a cool guy. But yeah, uh great. I mean they they've all spoke about doing to tape and it's um and that kind of old analogue approach. And it's the there's something I mean as as I've said in the past, I feel that the perfection is in the imperfections. For sure. Yeah, and like it doesn't need to be so perfect that it's kind of robotic. Yeah, it becomes like super sterile and clinical. Like mm. whenever like we would I was like trying too much, it was becoming very clinical. Whereas kind of my favorite moments on the album kind of happened either as like an accident or um as I said, like just the guide vocal having mm. like this character that when I tried to proper tape just didn't have um and it's it's funny how it works out you know you couldn't predict it you know i could i could go in and try and re like record the whole album again and it would turn out completely different um so it's funny mm. yeah it's interesting mm. well thank you very much for joining me jack and of course uh, me, no it's cool and the, the first single kerosene will be out on uh june the 30th um yeah. with the album uh, red eyed radio out on sometime in august uh the links in the description will be <laughs> below for for all things Jack Browning, the single, the album, uh, the artwork that you do, everything Thanks, will be below. Thank you very much. Great. Thanks for having me, man. Thanks. Kerosene. Scrape the coffee at the lid, I'll go and make a drink.